I like museums. I like the way they walk, the way they talk. I like the darkly lit things, the bright sparkly things, and the curiosities in the corner. And, full disclosure, I like a nice slice of cake at the end. And the thing is that every object in every museum up and down the country comes with a story, which is where this podcast comes in. Paintings, puppets, pots, jewels, furniture and household sundries. We look at them all from every side and tell the tales that come with them. Welcome to Art and Stuff with me, Ben Miller. Now, if I'd grown up in Wales, I'd probably have had a blissful childhood. As it is, although I'm half Welsh on my mother's side, I didn't grow up in Wales. I grew up in England. But I have a deep fascination for all things Welsh, which brings us to our next object with deep connections to the land of my fathers. It's an organ, but it's a splendid organ that bulges and belches in all the right places. So may I present the Winstay Organ, commissioned by Sir Watkin Williams Wynne and designed by Robert Adam in 1773, now in the National Museum of Wales in Cardiff. When the organ is being played, it fills the gallery with sound, and for me it feels like it's the beating heart of the gallery. When I heard Sir Watkins' organ play, I was enthralled by its kind of brightness and the lightness of its sound, and there was a warmth. There was just this organ in this space in particular that just like, ding, called out for this idea. The organ is so theatrical. It's a very pretty, pretty organ. The casework is so decorative. It looks like a rich man's plaything, doesn't it? I have a weakness for Rococo, and this organ was just so Rococo, full on. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart called the organ the king of all instruments. And I know what he means. The sky's the limit when it comes to organs. They can be anything up to five stories high with 10,000 pipes. And when you're playing one, my, do you feel mighty up there in the gods. The pipe organ as we know it today came from the Byzantine Empire, synonymous with grand occasions where a bit of oomph is called for. Pope Vitalian was a fan in the 7th century, and he's probably responsible for bringing the organ into churches. In the 18th century, it was also terribly fashionable to have your own organ. Fancy. I'm Andrew Renton. I'm the keeper of art at Amgyedva Cymru National Museum, Wales, and together we're responsible for Wales's national art collection at the National Museum in Cardiff. What we're talking about today is a chamber organ, commonly known as the Winstay organ or the Williams Wynne organ, which came from the Williams Wynne family home of Winstay in Denbyshire in northeast Wales. It's over four metres high and over three metres wide, and it looks rather like a, an elaborate break front cabinet. It's got a square fluted Corinthian columns and along the very top there's an elaborate cornice which features masks of Apollo the Greek god of music and god of dance and poetry and it looks very much like a decorative 
piece of classical architecture. Mostly it's painted pale green with square panels in the base section painted in pale blue and some details painted in maroon, cream and gold. And what you notice most of all are two figures towering over us, which are both women in classical robes and holding musical instruments. And these are two of the nine classical muses. And they're standing either side of a large circular frame, which encloses a set of 21 gilt brass pipes. And this kind of gives the game away. What we're looking at is a chamber organ and a very impressive one at that. And above the pipes in the middle, we can see a man's head in profile. And this is the composer, George Friedrich Handel. Now, Handel was one of the greatest composers of the Baroque era. The Messiah, Water Music, Music for the Royal Fireworks, Zadok the Priest, all massive hits. He also shared a house with Jimi Hendrix. Not many of us have the means, or indeed the space, to install an organ in our home, especially one that's about the size of a fully grown African bush elephant. It was designed in 1773 by Robert Adam, the leading neoclassical architect of his day, and it was part of his designs for Wynne House in St James's Square in London, which was the new house that he was designing for the Welsh landowner Sir Watkin Williams Wynne, the fourth baronet of Wynnstay. He was the head of Wales's greatest landed family of the day. His father died in a hunting accident when Sir Watkin was only six months old. And so from that young age, he was the owner of a vast estate that spread over all the counties of North Wales and into Shropshire as well. He had an income of about £20,000 a year, which made him one of the hundred or so wealthiest men in Britain and Ireland at the time. That £20,000 would be the equivalent of an annual income of more than three and a half million today. And the young Sir Watkin didn't waste any time spending it. Like many wealthy young men of the day, he embarked on a very expensive grand tour of France and Italy, travelling to Paris and Lausanne, Geneva, Genoa, Milan, Bologna, Florence, Rome, Naples. He came back from the Grand Tour fired up with enthusiasm for the art and culture of Italy and converted that into a passion for the arts and became really the greatest patron of arts in the history of Wales. And we're not just talking about visual arts, we're talking about theatre, music and also the Welsh language. He seems to have been bilingual and owned Welsh manuscripts and so on. So a great patron of the arts for Wales. He also gave pretty good parties. In 1770, when he turned 21, he held a great open-air birthday bash at his Welsh estate, Winstay. There were some 20,000 guests. The thing was so lavish that it took three coachloads of cooks from London to produce the food for the occasion. The sort of centrepiece of the whole occasion was the roasting of a great ox but there was a supporting cast of 30 cows, 50 pigs, 50 calves, 80 sheep, 18 lambs, 37 turkeys, 421 pounds of salmon. You know, the list goes on. Typically lavish and generous, really. Not such fun if you were that rare thing, an 18th century vegetarian. But for Sir Watkin, the event was a chance for a bit more extravagance. We think that he may well have 
worn for the party a, a very special suit which is now in the collection of the National Museum of Wales and it has a wonderful plum-coloured velvet coat embroidered with silks and gold sequins and silver thread. We know that during the 1770s he spent about £1,000 a year on suits alone which is a, a phenomenal sum of money at that time but again it's typical of his no-expense-spared lifestyle. I like the sound of that plum velvet suit. Maybe he could introduce me to his tailor. Hello, I'm the Reverend Richard Coles. I'm now the vicar of Findon and custodian of a historic organ. For 35 years ago, I was playing a different kind of keyboards when I was in the communards. Richard Coles is a fan of the Wednesday organ. He began his musical career in the 1980s, a time of big hair, shoulder pads, filofaxes, yuppies, and of course the legendary Yamaha DX7 synthesizer. I started playing the piano when I was four. My grandfather was a pianist. Well, that's rather a grand way of explaining it. He used to play the piano. Songs which I realise now were quite smutty, although I didn't understand that at the time. But he used to kind of keep people enthralled and was the life and soul of the party. And I thought I quite liked it. And he had a typical of the period baby grand that was draped with a sort of shawl with a rose bowl on it, that kind of thing. So I started quite early on. And then I went to typical English public school with the chapel and the chapel had an organ and then I started learning the organ when I must have been about 13 I think and then when I was 18 I ran away to London and fell into bands and that was when keyboards happened and I started doing that at exactly the time when new technology meant that the Yamaha DX7 became widely available see told you for a frustrated megalomaniac like me to be able to play a great organ in you know, Westminster Cathedral or St Paul's Cathedral or somewhere like that or one of the great town hall organs, Liverpool, Birmingham, you would feel like you were indeed the king of the universe. And then the synthesizer, of course, put an almost limitless range of sounds and colours literally at your fingertips. The communards, we, well, it was, you know, we had our sort of 15 minutes or maybe even 20 minutes of fame. I ran away to London in 1980, so did Jimmy Somerville. We met, we were both young gay men escaping pasts and trying to build a life with a lot of other people. And a lot of that happened around dance floors and nightclubs and stuff. And so music was the sort of soundtrack to our lives. And I was just very fortunate that I hitched my wagon to Jimmy, who turned out to have one of the most distinctive voices of the era. Well, Don't Leave Me This Way, we recorded in 1985 at Sigma Sound in New York. It was the first time I'd ever been in a really posh recording studio, and it was above Radio City Music Hall. And I walked into the studio, and in reception was Yoko Ono, so I was quite excited. And we threw everything at it. I mean, it was a, the first sort of really big production record we'd done. So the sort of drum and bass and a lot of the percussion was done on the synclavia. I was playing a piano in the studio. It was a Steinway concert grand. I mean, the imperfections of my performance are still preserved for all posterity, but I don't mind imperfections, which is just as well if you play like me. 
Richard might have been excited about all that electronic wizardry in 1985, but back in 1774, Sir Watkin Williams Wynne was just as fired up when his organ got delivered. I think it's interesting that someone like Sir Watkin, who was one of the richest men of his age, would splurge his money on an exquisite organ. And inviting your friends round to hear it played, it's a bit like a kind of footballer today, inviting his mates round to the media room to hear the new sound system, isn't it? It's one of those ways in which you would make a party to display your wealth and prestige. It would have been used as the focal point of great social occasions in Wynn House. The organ, compared to the size of the room, would actually have felt quite large and imposing, and the sound of it when it was played must have been really quite powerful. For example, on May Day in 1775, when Sir Watkin gave a musical breakfast and there's the record of a singer being there in a small chamber orchestra, it was all part of that grand entertaining. It would also have been part of Sir Watkin's genuine enthusiasm for music. He loved music, he loved the music of Handel, Handel was his favourite composer, and he clearly loved the idea of living with music being part of his daily life. It's easy to mock Sir Watkin's conspicuous consumption, but there's no doubt he was also a serious patron of the arts in Wales. One of those who benefited from his philanthropy was the blind harpist John Parry, who was originally from Carnarvonshire. He was probably the most celebrated harpist in Britain in the mid-18th century. The poet Thomas Gray described one of his recitals as ravishing, blind harmony in tunes of a thousand years old. My name's Gwyneth Glynn and I'm a singer-songwriter from North Wales and I'm also a theatre and television writer. I was Welsh Poet Laureate for Children for a year, a few years ago, and I still write poetry, although most of my poems usually evolve into songs for some reason. The Wednesday organ has a special appeal for Gwyneth. We had an organ at home. My parents bought an organ that was being got rid of from our chapel and I think they bought it for £40 in the 80s and I remember sitting on my mother's lap as a very small child and she used to pedal the pedals and I used to play. Yes, I think coming from a chapel-going family and being involved in all kinds of eisteddfodau, the Welsh singing competitions and festivals. I don't know exactly why we love to sing so much. But I remember being aware as a mother for the first time that I had this kind of canon of nursery rhymes in my head and I wasn't really aware of them before and they just kind of flowed out and I'm sure every mother has that experience. I would sing to my son almost exclusively in Welsh because those are the nursery rhymes and folk songs I was brought up with. It's one of these kind of surreal ditties. It's kind of based on a little story about mummy's coming home. She jumps over the gate. Um, she's got something in her apron and she's got a water carrier on her head. And yes, it just takes you back to a kind of rural idyll on a farm. I don't consider myself as a performer, but I kind of came to composing my own music through poetry. 
This song is called Kolung, which means not. It's about this dream in which two lovers are kind of intertwined on a shameless bed. So it's kind of dreamlike eroticism, I suppose. Let's go back to the 18th century, where I want you to imagine all those fancy guests standing around as the Winstate organ comes to life. The organ is still played regularly. We have an example of, of what the organ actually sounds like. It's Andrew Wilson Dixon playing a piece by Thomas Chilcott. I'm no musical expert, but I think the sound of it is a sweet one. It has a sort of very intimate kind of character to it. It's very much designed for a domestic space, and I think that makes it much more approachable. I also have learned from talking to the organists who come and play on it that, in fact, the organ has its own personality, its own little quirks. Some of the stops are a bit temperamental, so if you're not careful, I think you can occasionally get a duff note. It's nearly 250 years old now, and given its age, I think it's holding up very well, and I gather that it's actually good for it to continue being played. The Winstay organ is no spring chicken, but a couple of years ago, it was involved in something rather avant-garde. My name is Ragnar Kjartansson and I'm a visual artist from Reykjavik, Iceland. In my art I tend to work quite a lot with performance and installation and quite a lot of my works actually have music as a strong component in the works. I tend to try to use music in a sort of a sculptural or a painterly way. The organ in Cardiff when I first saw it in the National Museum in Wales it was just you know this awesome badass Rococo organ in the center of that room. And I just saw that organ and kind of immediately I thought of somehow a performance with that organ. Yeah, I just fell in love with it. Later I heard the sound and thank God the sound in that organ was great. <laughs> it was sort of an idea I just had that there would just be the organ alone in the space and then a person constantly playing on the organ again and again, the song by Gino Paoli called Il Cielo in una stanza which means the sky in a room. And it's a gorgeous Italian pop song, kind of the national love song of Italy, which is, you know, pretty huge. <laughs> it is actually the only song I have come across, which is about the uh, fundamental of visual art, which is the transformation of space. So the song says like, when I'm here with you, I don't see these walls, I see endless woods. And when I'm here with you, this purple ceiling is just the sky. And it changes this room, the space, into some kind of infinite woods and sky. Everything kind of is amplified by the presence of love. The sky in a room was very much about transforming our experience of the museum. 
It involved removing all the paintings, all the furniture and historical objects from the gallery, leaving just the organ, which was quite a radical thing for the museum to do. But when the lights were dimmed, it was a really powerful way of just focusing on the instrument and on the performer. And they sang it repeatedly over a period of five weeks. So the song and its sound and its varying moods captured by the different voices of the performers really became a living presence in the museum, I would say. And I found it captivating and compelling. I also felt very conscious of the passage of the time, how the song marked that out, but also how the organ itself and, and its sound created a feeling of continuity between the present and a quite distant past. People came into the gallery and seemed to be transfixed by it and you know, immersed in this sort of meditative experience. It, it was really quite special. I mean, of course, it's kind of about love and space and whatnot, but I can't really figure out myself what that actually is. The piece is really open to interpretation, and I don't have anything formulated in my head what message this piece should bring. It's a bit like incense. It's one of those things that tells me I am approaching the threshold of the divine. So when I hear a certain kind of organ played in a certain kind of way, it sort of fires up my circuits, which are receptive to theological frequencies, I suppose. And I love that. When we left Richard Coles, it was 1985, and he was with the Communards recording in a glamorous New York studio. Flash forward, and in 2005, he was ordained into the priesthood in the Church of England. He's now the vicar of Findon in rural Northamptonshire. But he does have a historic organ to rival the Wednesday. We have an organ which was built by Father Smith in the 1690s for Queen Anne's private chapel at Windsor Castle. She died in 1714 and George I moved the court to London. And the then squire of Findon was a canon of Windsor and he managed to get hold of the organ and he had it brought to Findon. I don't know if it was entirely properly done because he was sacked quite soon afterwards. But anyway, the organ arrived in 1717 and there was a big concert with Dr Croft, the organist of Westminster Abbey, came to play it. But it's a lovely organ. It sounds like an English organ of that time. It's wheezy, it's clunky. It's beautiful, actually. It's a lovely organ. And people come from far and wide to play it. So organ nerds will know of my church. The Wednesday organ is a really important object. It's the only surviving example of a monumental chamber organ designed by Robert Adam. To get a visual and sound experience of the 18th century, this is a unique experience, I think. I would have loved to have seen the organ in the house where it was designed for in Mayfair. That would be fascinating. But of course, it's wonderful that it has come home to Wales and that there's now an opportunity to see it and to hear it. As an expression of a particular man's enthusiasm and passion and the way he expressed his confidence as a Welshman through these high-level commissions, I admire it. 
and I find that it's the sort of thing that I can sit in the gallery quietly and, and just look at and explore in some detail quite happily. The Wednesday organ is part of the collection at the National Museum of Wales in Cardiff. It was acquired through the generous support of Art Fund members across the UK. Mm-hmm.